0: You are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from. Everyone is included, accepted and loved. For more information, please visit us at WoodsChapelBlueSprings.org. Good morning. Glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. My name is Amy Thompson, and I worship here at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, and I also serve as the Missouri Conference lay leader. I also work as a licensed clinical social worker where I get to work with children, teenagers, and adults, um, providing services to them in the community. A few weeks ago, Pastor Michael came to me and said, I'd love to do a sermon series on feelings. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. Feelings are so hard for us to talk about sometimes. And based on what we've been through in the last year, it seems really important for us to spend a little bit of time talking about our feelings. So this week we're going to look at anxiousness and worry and how those interfere with our lives. And then next week we're going to take a look at um, just a whole range of feelings and kind of what happens to us inside when we're experiencing them, but also how does it impact our relationships and how can we make some changes so that we can be more responsive rather than reactionary. So... going to take you back to 2008. I made a hair appointment with a local stylist here in Blue Springs to get my hair cut. And I have never had my hair cut by anyone else since I was eight years old. And so I make this appointment thinking I'm going to be able to go in and get somebody close to home to cut my hair. And as the day approaches, I begin to notice that there's thoughts in my mind, and I'm saying to myself, oh my gosh, what if she messes up my hair? That's something that everyone will see. Oh my gosh, what if, and all these what ifs were running through my head, and I couldn't stop them. Then on the day of the appointment, I wake up with a stomach ache, and I know immediately that I'm just being being anxious about what's going to happen later on in the day. And as the day goes on, I notice I'm getting a little bit fidgety and restless, and so I end up calling to cancel the appointment because I can't go see, I've been traveling home for 90 minutes every six weeks to get my hair cut for those 25 years, and I hadn't been able to make the switch to getting someone here in the city. And I got myself so worked up, the worries, the thoughts, and then the physical reactions happened, I just couldn't do it. So instead... I chose not to do it and continued to drive home for a whole other year before I was willing to try it again. And this time I had a friend make a recommendation who has short hair, so that felt a lot safer. I'm like, this girl knows how to cut short hair. So what I did is called her up, and I was a little bit wiser this time, and I said to her, so, no one else has cut my hair in 25 years. Are you going to be okay with that? And I remember this hesitant yes that comes out of her mouth. And so we scheduled an appointment, and she said, I think I'll allow a little extra time for this. And so again, a few days come before the appointment, and I start to have all those thoughts again. But this time, I say to myself, she knows how to cut short hair. She cuts my friend's hair. And I kept saying to myself these statements that were more positive rather than letting myself run away with the negative. And even on the day of, as I got in the car to drive there, I could feel my heart racing just a little bit, and I started to do some breathing exercises. I can still remember walking into her shop and introducing myself and she introduced herself and she goes, I am so nervous to cut your hair. And I remember this rush of relief because I'm thinking, Good, we're both nervous, like this will be okay now. And so we started to talk and we both did some breathing and I sat down in the chair and we had really good communication. I even had pictures to show her of what it looks like when it's cut and off we went. And I would say to you that I'm still seeing her and everything is so comfortable now when I go to see her. I don't even have to give it a second thought when I get in the car to drive there. You know what, life is full of anxiety and worry. This is the roller coaster that we all live on. It's important for us to think about what's the difference between worry and anxiety because we often use those words pretty interchangeably. I would tell you that they're on a spectrum, but they involve different states. And the other piece that happens is worry just rests in our mind, it's all the thoughts. But anxiety rests in our mind and in our body. There's usually a physiological reaction that happens when we're getting anxious. The other thing to think about is we can think that anxiety has three components. An emotional component, a physiological component, and then a cognitive component. So emotional components might look like things, those underlying feelings that that live underneath the anxiety. So fear, dread, embarrassment. The physiological reactions are all those things I talked about earlier about that physical state. So, my heart was racing, having trouble breathing. Maybe you get fidgety or have that stomach ache or tense muscles. Sometimes people even find themselves shaking. That's that physiological response that happens in our body. And then there's the cognitive piece. Those are those thoughts, those worries that start to grab a hold of us, the what if statements the negative, oh, this is never gonna work, I'm never gonna make it, kind of statements. And all of these can cause a disruption to our life. So I wanna give you an example to kind of distinguish between the two. So I worry about getting up on time and driving to the airport, finding a place to park, and catching my flight on time. Those are worries, those are pretty much thought-based. I typically do not have a physical reaction to any of that. Anxiety would be that I have a fear of flying, and so much so that even when I think about flying, my heart starts to race, and my, ty- my chest starts to feel really tight. So those physiological reactions begin to happen, and I won't even go to the airport. Like, I wouldn't even drive to the airport because I am not getting on an airplane. My feet are not leaving the ground. And so you can kind of see the difference between what is just a, a worry-based versus an anxiety-based reaction that we can have. I would argue that over this last year, we've all been living in this space of worry and anxiety. For some of us, we maybe have never experienced anxiety, and so we're starting to see some of that in our lives because of the duration of what's been happening during the pandemic. For others of us, we've already had anxiety, and it's just escalated even more because of the situation of the pandemic. And I don't know that it's just the pandemic. I look at that and think, Well, so we've had changes in our lifestyles. We've had to make a gazillion decisions about whether our kids go to school, don't go to school, about whether our kids do activities or don't do activities. Do I work from home? Do I not work from home? Did I lose my job and have to find another one? All of those things happening around the pandemic. But the other pieces that have happened this year I think about those that live along the coast, what it must be like for them now to see the radar come up to see a hurricane that's being predicted to hit landfall. We've had a record season of hurricanes, so those people must live in a state of worry and even anxiety about, will my belongings be safe? Will my house be safe? Will we be safe? Do we have a place to go if it actually comes onto land? And I also think about all those on the other coast and inland where the forest fires have been this year. They too have been in this place of worry and anxiousness amid everything else that's happening. And then we would add in the politics. And for me, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you don't believe when it comes to politics. We've all had moments of worry and anxiousness this year about what's been occurring, regardless of where you stand on any of the issues. So what do we do with all of this? Well, here's what I know. I know that we can't deal with our spiritual health and development unless we also look at our emotional health. And again, this is hard for us to do because we're not always willing to talk about our feelings. But here's the great thing, is the Bible is full of examples of characters exhibiting their feelings. We get to see God interact with them or Jesus interact with them. And they're our example. They're our example for what happens to us with our feelings and emotions. They're also our example about what happens in our relationships if we're not taking care of those feelings. So today I want us to look at the passage from Second Luke where we get to hear about Jesus' parents and what happens to them. So this is Luke 2, chap- or verses 1 through— or no, sorry, Luke 2, verses 41 to 48— Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were not aware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So, how many of us have been there? How many of us have had the missing kid in the store while you're shopping? If you're a parent, you have been there at some point. I remember Zane was about three or four and I was in Kohl's. He was crawling around at my feet and I'm shuffling through the clothes. I turn around to shuffle through the clothes and I turn back and he's gone, just like that. And I remember I even like bent down and like looked up under there, cause you know, they get they can crawl under there. So I get down there and I can't see them anywhere. And I stand up and there's just this moment of panic. And it was physical and mental. I like my heart, I remember my heart started racing and my chest immediately tightened. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've lost my kid. And then I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like where could he be? And I remember bending and looking in several different directions and still can't find him. And so now I'm really panicking and the negative thoughts really start to roll in of, oh my gosh, my kid is missing, someone took him. Like that's the next place I go. And mind you, it's been like 25 seconds, 30 seconds. So, But it seems like an eternity. And so I know I turned and I remember saying his name out loud and I remember some other people noticing my panic and they know because they're moms and like they know this. And so everyone starts looking for him. And again, the thoughts are, I can't believe I lost him. I should never have taken my eyes off him. All of this is going through my head and my heart is still racing. And then guess who's sitting up against the wall along the back underneath clothes? But Zane. And what's he doing but chewing on a piece of paper of all things? Who knows? even where that came from. But in that moment when I laid my eyes on him, again, there was a rush, a rush of relief, of happiness. There was a moment of where I wanted just to grab him and say, what are you doing leaving me? But I didn't because that was my own anxiousness, my own nervousness, my own fear about what could have happened to him. But I also remember being thankful that there were other people that noticed my panic and they were able to help me. And he was oblivious to the fact that there was even a crisis happening. It was all on me in that moment because he was perfectly fine where he was. I read this passage in Luke and think, oh my gosh, like I just lost my kid for like a minute in Kohl's. They left their child in the temples, travel for a whole day, and and then like they realize he's not there. Like I can't even imagine the panic and the shock that must have happened for Jesus's mother to think, oh my gosh, we left our child in Jerusalem. And to think how fast you would travel back. And then to search like three days to find him. And all the thoughts. Again, Gosh, horrible parents we are. We didn't even know our kid wasn't with us. The other thoughts that must have been going, you know, could, could he be hurt? Could he have been traded? I just think about all the things that must have rushed through their head and how they must have been feeling in those three days. To arrive at the temple and find their son having a good time. Like he is learning and he's teaching. He's having a good time, oblivious to the fact that there's a crisis. You know what? This happens all the time. I see a situation, I'm in a situation, and I'm having a reaction, but the person next to me may not have a reaction at all because they've seen it before. They've been there before. On the flip side, I could see a situation and be having that reaction, and that person could join in with me because they're like, oh my gosh, they haven't seen it either. And so now we're both in that emotional turmoil all at the same time. And so I have to laugh to myself too when I think about this story about Jesus being at the temple and his mom and dad searching for him because you know what? He's the child of God. If anybody's probably gonna be safe and okay, it's probably him. But here's the cool part about the story is they aren't even aware yet of what all that Jesus will be. And so we get to see their human qualities. We get to hear the fear in Jesus's Jesus's mom's voice when she says, what have you done to us? We've been anxiously searching for you. She's human in that moment. She's letting us know what it feels like to be in that moment the other piece that gives me comfort in that story is jesus's family had mishaps and misunderstandings just like we do so this gives us permission to be in these places and to not be worried or ashamed about the fact that we're having these feelings or having these reactions or having these conflicts this is a part of life so, we're on the roller coaster. Like I'm on the roller coaster inside Coles and on a daily basis. Our scripture today shows a pair of parents on the roller coaster. But that's each and every one of us every day of our lives right now. So when I think about this roller coaster of emotions that we're on, it, it brings me back to so why do some of us have more of a reaction than others? Well, that's based on our experiences. So your brain is wired based on the memories that are stored away, based on your belief system, and then based on your overall current state, like how are you in being able to handle just the everyday kind of things right now. And again, for many of us over the last year, we feel exhausted, we feel overwhelmed, we're just drained. So it's hard for us to have that capacity to work towards this healthy response versus a reactionary response. So what do we do about this? Well, I think it's important for us to remember exactly how our brain is wired because it helps give us some insight in how to respond. So first of all, our, brain, our mind is meant to dwell on the negative. Like this is our protective factor. Our brain is more concerned about survival than it is about happiness. And so if we can remember that, that will be helpful for us. So our brain's going to always default to, how can I protect you? How can I keep you safe? And so again, that's why those physiological reactions can happen when we're anxious. This is why those negative thoughts pop up, so that we can start to try and assess the situation. Here's the problem, is it all happens unconsciously in order to be more effective, But it also sends us on that roller coaster of emotions and thoughts, and we're down that track, and we have to be conscious, so we have to be actively looking and listening to ourselves so that we can begin to identify how to move out of that space. The other piece that happens along this negative thinking pattern is that we sometimes put ourselves in places that add to the negativity. So do you ever hang out with someone that's just sees the world as a glass half empty kind of person who always has a negative spin on the things that are happening around us, that person is not helpful to you if you're struggling with worry and anxiety. Excessive viewing of the TV and social media that has those images and the dialogue of the things that are the fear factors in our world right now are not helpful. They keep us stuck in those patterns. And then I have to acknowledge, we all have self-talk, and our self-talk tends to be negative unless we are able to consciously make a choice to shift it to the positive. So, what do we do with all this? So here, I'm gonna give you four. I know Michael sometimes gives us five, but I'm gonna give us four tools to kind of help shift us through this worry and this anxiety so that we can be responsive rather than living in this reactionary space. So my first one is this. We've all got to acknowledge that anxiety is a part of life. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to change anytime soon. And that with that means there's uncertainty. And if we can begin to accept the moment as it is, there's going to be anxiousness. There's going to be worries. There's going to be uncertainty. We can begin to move through it. When we try and deny it or we try and resist it, that creates some friction inside of us. And so we're going to get stuck immediately. So just name it there's going to be anxiety and worry in our world today second begin to recognize your bodily sensations that are related to anxiety identify where in your body you feel anxiety so does your chest get tight does your breathing change does your heart rate change are you somebody that gets fidgety with your hands and your feet Um, Some people get the sweats, some people get the trembles, I, I get stomach aches when I get really anxious. So when you can identify that physical reaction that happens in your body, that's your first indicator that anxiety is upon you. And again, this action happens unconsciously. So if we can begin to notice it, then we can begin to change the path that happens next which would be breathing. You gotta do some breathing. I I know that seems simple, but honestly, when there's physiological reactions happening in our body, the best step is for us to do deep breathing and to do some meditation if that's something that you're interested in. But when it comes to deep breathing, you gotta breathe in and out. I'm about like a three count in and a four count out, and you've gotta do it at least three times. Five times is preferable, because it can really change that physiological reaction that's happening inside of your body. My third tip is this, and it's from Dr. Dan Siegel and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, and it's called Name It to Tame It. So this is a handy strategy to to use with kids, but it's also a great strategy for us as adults. So we need to begin to name our feeling with the situation. We call this storytelling, in a sense. So I feel anxious when I have to go see someone new to get my hair cut. I feel anxious about that because she's not going to know how to cut my hair. She could mess it up. So we begin to talk through, tell the story of the feeling. Like, why is it there? What's happening? What's going on for you? When we begin that storytelling piece, here's what happens. Our brain begins to integrate that experience for us. And when we can integrate it, it gets filed away in our brain and the intensity of that is gone. When I just have the feeling and I never talk about it, that's what gets stored away, that charged, intense feeling. And if I do have a story to tell, but I'm not connecting it with the feeling, my brain can't get those two pieces together so that when a similar situation comes up later, I can recognize it. And remember what I said earlier, how your brain's wired and the memories that are stored away are what our default mode goes to whenever we're getting worried or anxious. So the storytelling element is really important. Research also tells us when we are able to name a feeling, the intensity is decreased immediately. So if we just take time to name a feeling and talk about it, we can have more control over how we're managing our feelings. My last tip for all of us is going to be this is that we know that our brain tends to be negative, but here's the cool part. When we are in service or when we are being thankful, We are nothing but in a positive place. We can't be in the negative place when we're giving of ourselves and serving other people and when we're counting our blessings. So I want to encourage all of us to give thought to, how can you be in service? How can you spend some time each week or every couple of weeks doing something for someone else so that you can be in that place of positiveness? And then my other one would be, just take two to three minutes every day to write down what you're thankful for. If you can get into that exercise, that space spent with some positive thinking is going to be helpful for you, even in those negative times, because you'll be reminded of the positives. So I've said anxiety and worry are going to be a part of life, but they don't have to run our life. And so if we're able to use these emotional tools or these tips that I shared today, that's going to help us with some emotional growth. But what about our spiritual life? How is this really going to impact our spiritual life? So I want to go back to Scripture for that, because I think Paul gives us some great examples in Philippians about how we can respond to anxiety and to worry and use that for spiritual growth. So Philippians 4, he says this, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. So I have to be honest, I've always struggled with this first line of the scripture because I'm like, you know what, we're going to worry. Like, that's part of life. And honestly, some worry can actually be helpful for some of us. It can motivate us and move us into action. So sometimes I'm like, worry in small doses is good for us. But what I think is important here is he said, You know, don't just sit with the worry. He's like, do something. So, like, he suggests praying. And here's his instructions about the prayer piece. He says this let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. So, listen to that. He says, make a petition, like, be specific, make a request. What is it that you're seeking that could be helpful in moving you? And also praise. Like, don't forget the good stuff that's happening in your life. It's not all negative right now. So how do you move into that from that negative space to finding at least one positive thing that you can lift up? And I think the other piece that I think is even more important is let God know your concerns. You know what? Don't hide. God knows. Be authentic. Be real. Have prayer be this time where you can be in open dialogue about what's happening for you. And then do this next step that he offers us. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. When I read that, this is what I think about. I think God's saying, you know what, I equipped you. I've given you this amazing brain that goes into protection mode, but you've got to take some steps to move out of protection mode and move into how do I take that first step forward? And I surround you with people. We are in a faith community that loves us and wants to help us move forward. So how do we tap into that? Like that's a choice we have to make. We have to take that little step to say, hey, can you help me out with this? Hey, I'm struggling with that. Faith communities and our small group experiences are those safe places where we can move forward and feel like we can be in that place, and we can experience what it means to be settled, what it means to be whole in Christ. And then my last part I love, because this totally reinforces the tools I gave you earlier. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say to you, you would do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Paul's instructing us that the best use of our energy, of our time, of our thinking, would be that spent on the positive. Being gracious, having gratitude, finding the positive. And when we're in a space that we can't do that, again, we're surrounded by community. Tap into someone else who can lean into you and offer some of their positiveness to help you take that first step forward. And then he wraps it all together with, Put into practice what you have learned from me, what you have heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Again, we must be a community of faith. We must come together and care for one another in order to help us move through this. And that's what spiritual growth is about for me. This is not a one-man show. I'm in relationship with God, and I'm in relationship with others. And that is what brings us into this fullness and into this life. That's what will bring us into harmony. And that's my prayer. That's my hope for all of us, is that we can use these tools and we can put our faith into practice through prayer and scripture and small groups and and our faith communities so that we can experience harmony, both for ourselves and for our relationships. And I would even say all of that will filter down to harmony in our communities. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious and loving God, you created us and you created us to be these wonderful beings that are very complicated. And God, you created us with all of these feelings and with this complex brain, and we at times need your help and we need the help of those around us to help us begin to recognize ways in which we can take those small steps to be more responsive rather than reactionary, to be more aware of what's happening around us and in us, And God, I ask that you could give us the courage, the courage to really look at ourselves, the courage to share our feelings, to talk about them with someone else. And God, I ask that you help those of us that encounter someone who's struggling to pause, to be present, to listen, so that they can feel your presence here on earth so that they can feel the support to take that small step forward and god most of all i ask that you are with each and every one of us as we all seek to find peace and harmony for ourselves for our relationships and for our community in your name we pray amen Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.